Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to week number two of Where Did It Go? This is a series where we are looking at different things in life and things in culture that have seemingly lost control. And the question is, where can we find it? How can we achieve control in these different areas that matter? Today, I want us to think through racial tension And even if you are a casual observer of the news and what's happening in culture, it is not hard, I believe, to come to the conclusion that racial tension has been and still is a significant problem. And where do you even start in trying to solve this particular issue? And how can we even have conversations that are productive and healthy and void of angst? How can that actually happen because it seems like we often want to ignore the issue in hopes that it will go away or solve itself. But I actually think that is part of the problem. Let's think today and let's learn together. Here's our big idea and that is when I understand God's view of people, my acceptance and love for others will grow. That's just something that's going to happen. When I fully understand how God views all people, my acceptance and my love for others will grow. Had a great privilege this past week to sit down with some friends here at Valley Point Church. Joe and Michelle Leverett are people that I respect and admire. I love them and I'm so thankful that they're a part of our faith community here. And I had the chance just to sit down because I wanted to hear from them on this divisive issue. And so we talked and we shared our different experiences with racial tension. And I thought this might be a 10 or 15 minute conversation. It actually grew into something much bigger than that. And so our conversation that I will share with you will be the bulk of our talk time today. Let's watch this, and then I'll come back for a challenge time. Joe and Michelle, I want to thank you so much for your willingness to be able to have this conversation. I'm really grateful, and I know this is a sensitive subject, so I'm appreciative, and We've known each other for a few years now. You've been in my home, and we've been in a life group together. We've laughed a few times together. We've cried a few times, and you have been willing to share your life with me, and I'm grateful, and I've tried to do the same. And I wanted to ask you, when did you first become aware as a young girl, a young boy that racism was something that existed 
And when did you really know that you were growing up in a country where you are a racial minority? So when did you become aware of racism? For me, it was when I was four. Um, my mother moved into a house. We were the first black family in that neighborhood, and it was a very bad experience. Mm. That's when I first discovered it. It was a very bad experience mm. for many moments. Mm. I had a similar uh, experience um, when we moved um, from a neighborhood in Philadelphia to a neighborhood considered to be on the outskirts of the city. Uh, basically uh, experienced the same sort of reaction when we moved into what was at that point a predominantly white neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, we noticed that almost immediately for sale signs popped up all over the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as a young child, I didn't understand why. I had actually formed friendships with some of the people, some of the children in the neighborhood at that time. And I couldn't quite understand why my friends at the time were moving and, you know, why I wasn't allowed to enter their homes and, you know, things of that nature. Mm. Michelle, is that a similar experience for you that when you moved there, you sensed that there were people who maybe pulled away? I didn't have to sense that they told me. <laughs> mm. There were no unspeakable, I mean, no uncertain terms that I was unwanted. I was called names, very bad names. I had stone thrown at, stones thrown at me. I was not allowed to play with hardly any of the children. It got to the point where my mother was just stay in the backyard and just play there. Don't, don't interact with any of these people. Mm. So you're young at the time, yeah. both of you, when you experienced this. In your heart, what happened when you sensed there are people who are doing things to me and saying things to me and about me because of the color of my skin? I was four, so I didn't quite get it. I asked my grandmother, what does this word mean? Because they kept calling me the N-word. Mm. I'm like, what does that mean? And she explained to me what it meant. And I said, this, you, do you mean that they don't, they're, they're calling me this because of the way I look? I mean, I was four, I couldn't, I couldn't mm. grasp that concept. So it was very, it was very, I was afraid. I didn't understand, I was very confused because I, could, I had never thought about this being any type of thing. So for me, it was confusing and, and it was frightening. For me, it was uh, confusing as well. And uh, it also made me very sad at the time because um, I could not quite understand how it was that people that had never even met me before or didn't really know me uh, would dislike me just because of the fact that I looked a little different than they did. I grew up in a predominantly white community. That's just where I lived when I was growing up with my family and went to predominantly white schools. There just wasn't a tremendous amount of diversity there. And honestly, I don't know if I have ever personally 
experienced racism. I just don't think that's happened to me in my lifetime. And that's 100% because I'm white. That's just reality. I'm thankful though for the home I grew up in because my parents, even though we lived in predominantly white areas, my parents did not share racist jokes. That was something not allowed in our home. And they really modeled for us as a family respect and love for all people. For me though, when I when I think about experiencing racism, since it's not something that's happened to me, I always view it as something that happens over there. And I know it happens because you read about it and you certainly hear about it on the news, but I don't think about it impacting me because it doesn't happen in my neighborhood and in my city and in my school. It's always something over there and so you can kind of ignore it a little bit. How much of that mentality do you see? I see it all the time. It's reality for us actually. People are saying you're playing the race card. This has nothing to do with race. And in their minds it doesn't because they don't understand racism. So we see, I see it all the time. And I talked to my daughter-in-law about this who is white and she said I was like that myself. It was just something that happened. I didn't it just didn't impact my world. She said even when I married Chris, my son, she said still didn't impact my world because it was just something over there. Even when they would have experiences it mm. didn't affect her. But she said once she had children she realized that it's a real thing. And it it impacted happen. her. Yes. Yeah. I, and I think the sad thing is you tend to ignore it or not get involved yeah. because it doesn't impact me directly. It exists, yeah. it happens, but it's not yeah. right inside of me or around me. That's exactly what my daughter-in-law said. Yeah. Joe, what about, what about you? Do you see that mentality that it's, it's there, but it's over there? Yeah, unfortunately, I do experience it on a daily basis, um, you know, where I work, uh, I'm treated different than some of the other people there. Even walking down the street, you know, you, you get an extra look or glare or stare, uh, walking through a store, uh, pretty much anywhere you go, you are made aware of the fact that you're different. And uh, you know, as far as, uh, the perception of racism itself. Um, if you could imagine uh, your most embarrassing or humiliating or dejected moment, mm. uh, if you can imagine that sort of thing happening to you or maybe you've had people reject you in the past, that sort of thing. If you take that feeling and you multiply it a hundred or a thousand times, that's pretty much what we're referring to when we talk about racism. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you really can get until you actually experience and you're in a situation where you're considered to be the outsider. And nobody wants to hear this, but it really is everywhere. I, I hate to say that, but it really mm -hmm. is. It's something we just learn to glide through and live with because it is, it is part of the American fabric. We've been taught the same way what else has been taught, which is you, know, you toe the line, you know, you stay out of trouble, you become as educated as you can. Uh, in many cases, we're told 
we have to be even more educated. Mm. Um, and you you work hard, and you know you will reap the, the benefits of that. Uh, which, thank God, he's he's blessed us with with many things, but you still are not quite equal or not quite accepted in mainstream society by virtue of the fact that you don't look or you don't act the way mm -hmm. they think you should look or act. You both have a great heritage of family speaking into you and, and training you to treat others with respect. And you've talked about your children. You have two boys and a daughter that God has blessed you with and some grandchildren as well. What were some of the things that were important to you in raising your kids in regards to how they treat others? It's very important to me to make sure that they understood that they were to look at people as people and as individuals and not as as a group or as a uh, stereotype or as basically uh, classified a certain way. We, we definitely raised them that everybody is just the same. Everybody, there's no differences, not rich, poor, not culturally, everybody's the same. Give, give people a chance, get to know them. I mean, we had all kinds of people in our house like I did growing up. And all four of my grandchildren are biracial, so that tells you what you need to know right there. <laughs> and yet the challenge of teaching that, recognizing that there is a whole host of others who feel differently about them, I'm sure that had to be very challenging. Very challenging indeed. We have many experiences where we just had to sit them down and talk to them and explain everybody is not like us. Everybody doesn't feel this way, but this is still the way that we feel. We can give you biblical reasons and we can give you sound reasons that we've come up with, but you just have to try to go through life your way and try to ignore the other people. I do believe when you have a conversation about racism that there are some systemic problems that keep this conversation and the problem alive. And I'm not going to review all of the statistics surrounding this, but they are somewhat astonishing. And I'm sure you guys feel this and know this, that most of the wealth in this country is with white people and the best jobs in the country are with white people, and that the unemployment rate for blacks is significantly higher than whites, and even a college-educated black person, it's much more difficult for them to land a good-paying job than what it is for a white person with a college education. So as you think about some of the systemic problems, which are very deep and hard to solve. Do you still feel the sting of racism today? Absolutely. I mean, we grew up, this is telling my age, but we grew up in the 60s. So I can still remember how it was in the 60s and even in the 70s. I went to a predominantly white school right here in Delaware County. 
and it was a nightmare. <laughs> um, my kids went to the same school, and they had they had racial issues even then. And yes, in my job, I mean, I've, I've had comments made about my hair, about things like that that shouldn't be happening in the 21st century. It just shouldn't be an issue, in my opinion. I've had similar uh, experiences. Um, one thing that comes to mind um, is the fact that uh, often when I go out on job interviews, um, because of my name, they're not quite sure what ethnic group I belong to. <laughs> um, so there is an immediate look of surprise, if not um, almost terror, <laughs> when I show up and you know in a suit waiting to be interviewed. Um, I've actually had an experience or two where I've driven quite some distance for an interview and gone to the the, um, the office of the individual that was supposed to be interviewing me and sat and waited to be interviewed and the person refused to come out of the office and mm -hmm. to interview me despite the fact that I had committed my resources and my time to make that interview. Um, I feel also the fact that uh, people who are half as qualified as I am, um, and I've invested a lot of time in my education, um, are given the same position I'm in, or they're even given positions that are above me, uh, despite my education experience and my skill set. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably nearly impossible to walk through that kind of experience and to see that happening and know that you've lost something and not feel that it's because of the color of your skin. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, they won't come right out and say, well, you know, you're, you're being given this assignment or you're not being given that assignment because of who you are, but um, it's, it's little subtle things that are done and said, uh, little offhand jokes here and there. Yeah, because if you look at the situation in reverse, if someone suddenly came to you and darkened your skin, changed the texture of your hair, and put you out into this environment, you probably would, would panic because you would realize probably for the first time that it doesn't matter what you know or, or what you can do or you know, what you've done, they only see mm -hmm. the, uh, the superficial side. The root of racism, I really don't think it's fear although some people will say that. I don't even think it's arrogance that I'm better than somebody because of the color of my skin. I think the root of racism is losing that this is a person made in the image of God and regardless of their color or their ethnicity, God loves this person deeply and they are made in his image. And I think that's the root of racism, that we've lost that ultimately 
All people need Jesus. And, and we've talked about this before. People need Jesus. So from your perspective, as people who are part of Valley Point Church, and I'm so glad you're part of our church, what do you think we can do? What can Valley Point do to help with some of the issues related to racism? Well, I think Valley Point is already doing a lot by helping the city of Chester with their different ministries and helping Wilmington with their different ministries. That's recognizing that, that, there, need, that there is help that needs to be done. Also, I think Valley Point can help by empathizing. Mm. Try to put yourself in someone else's place. My daughter-in-law said what helps her is when these things happen, put a white person's face on it. She said that, that makes it a whole different experience for her. I mean, Valley Point's a great church. They, they embrace people. It's, it's difficult, I think, for some of them to when they're interacting with African-Americans, I can tell, but it's okay. That's okay. Just the fact that we have not had any overt things that are done to us is a big thing. Mm. So I think Valley Point's on the, on the right road. I, but I think empathy is very helpful and as you're saying, humanize the person. Mm -hmm. Everybody's made in God's image. Everyone yeah. is. And Joe, what about you? I think that um, that um, having this conversation is a great start. It's a great way to help people understand another person's perspective. Um, although you may not have walked in our shoes and we may not have walked in your shoes, the fact that we're willing to sit and discuss these mm -hmm. issues and treat each other with respect and dignity. Just the fact that we're having this conversation is amazing. Everyone that I've spoken with about this is like, wow, what kind of church are you going to that mm -hmm. they're actually going to delve into this? So it's it's very good start. It really is. This is a very challenging area right now in culture. And I've heard so many black families speak of the talk that they've had to have with their kids about police and respect. And I find that so interesting because as a white person, that's not something that I've had to do with my kids as they have aged and started to drive and do things like that. So is that talk something you've had with your children? We've definitely had to talk to our children about it, particularly our sons. Um, and uh, it's based on you know, my experience growing up. Um, and it's also based on a lot of the things that are happening out in the world in general. And we always make them uh, aware of the fact that they are going to be uh, looked at differently, or in some cases, um, they are even provoked into making bad decisions. And uh, you know, one of the things we don't want them to do is to uh, do things out of anger. We want we we want them to. Um, maintain self-control. Uh, we want them to respect the people that um, they have been taught to respect. And that's one thing I, one of the things I grew up, I was always told 
that whenever you were in trouble uh, or, or, you know, a situation was uh, dangerous, that the first person you should seek out is a policeman or woman uh, or, or someone uh, in, in that uh, area. Uh, so it's, it's always been kind of strange to me to have to turn around and then say, well, the person that you should be seeking out if something goes wrong could actually be the person that could initiate harm mm. to you as well. When you see the shootings and the violence and the demonstrations, deep down inside, how does this make you feel? It's very upsetting. It's very disturbing because it takes me back to the 60s in a lot of ways. Um, it's very frustrating because you kind of ask yourself, why is this happening and what can be done to stop it? I had this conversation with my youngest son this morning. He's like, Mom, it doesn't matter. You can do everything they ask and they still can shoot you if they want to. And he says, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in that type of situation. That makes me very sad to have to hear him say that. It makes me very sad as well. And uh, I also have feelings of anger at time, I'll admit, because I'm like every other parent. I don't want my children to feel threatened or to be afraid to walk down the street or to drive down the street. We don't want to provoke any anger on, on either side. But by the same token, we just want the same things that every other family, every other American citizen as acts for and uh, uh, tries to achieve. I have many, many, many Christian friends. And whenever one of these incidents happens, they're silent. Mm. They don't say, how do you feel about this? They don't eat, they just don't talk about it. But if it's, and I am a big supporter of the police. I totally am, but if that happens, all of my Christian friends are like, oh my goodness, this is so horrible, can you believe this happened? They've done this to the police. And I'm always saying, you're not, you're not thinking here. <laughs> there's, mm. this, there's two sides to this. You can't ignore one and talk about the other. That's one of the things we've always taught our children, to have the utmost respect and to, um, to, to basically admire the uh, work that police the fire department, the public officials do on our behalf. Uh, that being said, um, I also have to tell them, unfortunately, that they need to be mindful of the fact that there are certain individuals within those organizations that may not necessarily have their best interests at heart. And we have to teach them how to avoid confrontations mm -hmm. and how to avoid situations where they could possibly harm themselves or uh, be harmed by others. I want to thank you so much for the love that you share and what you give. And I am so grateful that you are a part of Valley Point Church and also very grateful that in a humble way, you've taken time to just talk about something that's very sensitive, that scripture has something to say about and I think Valley Point Church 
needs to continue to think about these things and act and advocate. And we're going to continue to push on those things. And we need to express our thanks to you for helping to initiate this kind of conversation. So thank you. I appreciate you both. Love you. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. We, we feel the same about um, the church and we love you as our pastor. We do. We, we can't imagine going anywhere else at this point. That's very true. It's challenge time. So will you take your Bible or your device? And I want you to find James chapter 2. Scripture is not silent regarding this issue. And I want to dive into this and look at the words of God. So this is James chapter 2. Verse 1 says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? It's a great question, right? Let's kind of break this apart and do a little word study here. It starts by saying in the verse, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have? And that phrase there, claim to have, means to possess or to hold on to. And so the author is addressing a group of believers and he confronts them and says, how can you possess? How can you hang on to? What? Well, it says faith in, and that word faith means believe or trust. So how can you claim or possess or hold on to this belief or this faith in what? Well, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others. So let's put this all together now. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim, how can you possess, how can you hold on to this belief or this trust in Jesus if you are in any kind of way showing favoritism to people? It's a great question. And this isn't talking about faith as in our salvation. It's talking about faith in Jesus Christ That gives us all the ability, once we have trusted in him alone to save us, to live a dynamic and bold and impactful kind of life. And so the author here, James, is saying, if you show favoritism in any way towards people, your light will be dim and you will lose your impact. You don't lose Jesus, you've got that, but you will definitely lose your impact on the people around you, in your community, in your workplace, in your school, if you show favoritism in any kind of way. I want to think for a few moments about favoritism as it relates to racial tension. And I want all of us to really consider where we are on this journey toward racial reconciliation. I want to present a continuum to you that you can see now. And I want to ask two questions as we consider this. The first question is, where are you right now, today, this morning, 
on this continuum. There are four different categories here, and I think it's fair to say that all of us fit into one of these categories. So I want you to consider, where am I on this continuum? And let's walk through these different categories. There's the active racist. And maybe that's you. And you're here, and you definitely hate, and you definitely think less of others because of some characteristic, whether it's ethnicity or the color of their skin or they're rich or poor. There is hatred towards something there. You've been taught to think that way. And it's now a part of your life and it's part of what you communicate. You tell the jokes and you laugh at them and this is who you are now. If you've been taught to hate, you can be taught to love. And it is never too late to begin that journey. And if you're here and you would say, you know what, I think I may be an active racist. I would encourage you to dig deep this morning and to think about how you can begin a journey of loving others. And it's never too late to begin that journey. What about the passive racist? These are individuals who don't share the jokes. They might not even laugh at them, but they don't do anything to stop the jokes from being told. And they're not building bridges. They're not lending a hand to serve and to love. They know that racism exists because you can read about it and you can hear about it. They may even understand it is a painful thing for others, but it's over there. And it's someone else's problem. They will have to deal with it. I think if we were honest with ourselves, there's probably a lot of people who sit into that category. Again, they're aware that it exists, so maybe they're not doing anything to make it worse, but they're not doing anything to build bridges and to help the issue. It's a passive racist. What about the beginner, reconciler? Well, this is someone whose heart has been touched by God. And they recognize that all people are made in God's image. And if God loves people deeply, then I should feel the same way. And maybe they don't know what to do, but they do something. They look for opportunities to extend a hand, to love, and to serve. Again, they might not know what that looks like, but they're attempting to do something. They're beginning in their efforts to reconcile. And then there's the advocate. These are individuals who love indiscriminately and they use a good amount of their time and their resources to lend a hand, to lift, to help, and to love. The question is, where are you on the continuum? You an active racist? A passive racist? A beginner reconciler? Or are you an advocate? I think the second question is this. Which way is the arrow pointed in your life? Which direction are you moving toward as you think about this issue of racial tension? Are you moving in the right direction or are you going in the opposite direction of what God would want for us based on his view of people. And I will say this, it is very easy to view everything that's happening in culture 
And even if you would consider yourself to be a reconciler and an advocate to become angry at people who are not where you are. And maybe these are individuals that you love and they're a friend or they're in your family. And again, they might be an active racist or even a passive racist. And you become very angry that they're not involved in reconciliation and they're not advocating for the rights of others. And it can be very easy to turn around and go in the opposite direction. So we've got to consider, where am I on the continuum and which way is the arrow of my life pointed? I want to talk to the students in the room for just a moment. Those of you in middle school and high school and college, I want to encourage you and challenge you as you think about all of this that you would just determine with your life right now that I will communicate and I will say that I want to be a reconciler and an advocate and I don't care what other people are doing around me. This is what I want my life to communicate. You have so much life in front of you. And I think with your energy and your passion, you have the great ability to turn this thing around and to see good things happen in our communities and certainly in culture as large. And so if you're a student, just determine with my life, this is what I want to say and what I want to communicate. I want to be a reconciler and an advocate. Now here's what's interesting about all of this. If you go back to James chapter 2, Verse 8 says this, here's the reality. Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. And here's the royal law. This is probably something all of you have heard before. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law. That's the standard. But if you favor some people over others, here's the deal. You are committing a sin. And you are guilty of breaking the law. And that's a pretty serious thing. Whenever we show favoritism, it's actually a breaking of the law and God views that as a sin and it's something to turn from. As we think about the continuum and where we are and which way the arrow is pointed, I have three takeaways for us as a church. Let's think about these together. First of all, as a church, let's confess if that is needed. I would say that any type of racism or favoritism is an offense to God. All of it. doesn't matter how big or how small. All of it is an offense to God who has created people in his image. And if that's something that we're doing, it's a sin that needs to be confessed. And so as a church, if that's what we're engaged in, it's time to confess And the beauty of that is what we find in Scripture. If we confess our sin, if we do that, that's our part, that's our responsibility. Here's what God says. I will be faithful and just and I will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So that's the promise before us. But as a church, as individuals, if we need to confess because we are not viewing people the way that God views them, then let's do that knowing that God will cleanse us. Secondly, as a church, let's take whatever step is needed to become reconcilers and advocates. I have a growing burden and passion here at Valley Point that we use our time and our creativity and the resources that God has blessed us with 
to do just that, to reconcile and to advocate, knowing that God loves all people and we are all made in his image. And this is where God is taking us as a faith community. This is what he's calling us to. And I don't think we can deny that or ignore that. So as a church, let's just take whatever step is needed to become reconcilers and advocates. And you need to know that's where we're going. Thirdly, as a church, let's shine bright and seek to reach a hand to lift, to help, and to love. And I think we have an amazing opportunity in front of us in this community and the communities that are so close to us that desperately need a church to do this the right kind of way, to display the full love of Jesus to all people. And if we determine that we will be that church, I think our light will shine bright and we're going to have all kinds of opportunities to lift, to help, and to love. Knowing that when I view people the way that God views them, I will be so willing to help and to love others, all people. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.